Christ is risen. He is risen indeed. Hallelujah. Grace, mercy, and peace be to you in the name of our risen and living Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. You know, when I say the word orchestra, you probably picture in your mind woodwinds, brass, strings. You might even picture professional musicians playing these exquisite and expensive instruments. Or maybe you have in mind the, the gifted students at, at Jacob's School of Music all playing their instruments in concert while dressed to the nines. But there's one orchestra that is made up of kids who play instruments made completely of trash. It's called the Recycled Orchestra of, of Keturah, which is in Paraguay. Keturah isn't actually really a town. It's actually a slum that's built on top of a huge landfill. Every day, about three million pounds of waste is dumped in Keturah. Many families eke out their existence by scavenging trash from the landfill so that they can resell it. And kids get pulled out of school so they can help their families. To be honest, violinist Nolia, uh, age 16, said, There's not much in Keturah. What there was most was drugs. Her violin, like many in the orchestra, is made out of cans, wooden spoons, and bent forks. One of the ensemble's cellos uses an oil drum. Another teenager plays a saxophone that's made out of a drain pipe, melted copper, coins, spoon handles, cans, and bottle caps. It's a far cry from those expensive and exquisite instruments that the professionals play. If you go to YouTube, you'll find a 2013 video that introduced this recycled orchestra to the world. And their hopes in releasing this video was to, to raise $175,000 so that they could make a, a full-length uh, documentary about their experiences with music. Well, not only did they raise the money, but this video went viral. And since then, the Recycled Orchestra has performed all over the world. The group plays Mozart, Paraguayan folk music, and even some Frank Sinatra. These kids have been given an opportunity that has absolutely changed the course of their lives. They no longer carry themselves as ones whose only hope is in scavenging scrap, but as ones who have been cleaned up and who make beautiful music together. So what's the point in all this? The point is this. God makes music with messes. Or maybe, better put, messy people. See, that, that's what Easter is all about. God loves to make music with messes. I'm a mess. You're a mess. Truth be told, we're all a mess. Not because we live in a landfill. Our, our, our mess is not limited to the, the outside. We're messes on the inside. The sin of our ancestors has left us in a mess, and the sin that comes from within us makes a mess of our lives and the lives of others. We fall short of God's will and his ways. But fellow messes, today I have good news for you. 
It's time to make music. What do I mean? Well, think about it. The biblical orchestra is made up of the most unlikely musicians. You have Peter playing first chair trumpeter. Well, but he denied Christ three times. Then you have Paul playing the violin. There was a time, though, when, when the apostle Paul played the religious thug and he, he persecuted Christians. And the guy on the harp? Well, I guess that would be David, wouldn't it? Womanizing, bloodthirsty, and yet repentant David. Today, this resurrection day, we hear and add another person to the messes who make music. Her name is Mary. Mary Magdalene. Mary begins as a mess. Mary called Magdalene, from whom seven demons had gone out. Right, see, Mary was a popular name in the, in the New Testament. In fact, there are five of them that we encounter, which is why this Mary is identified with Magdalene. Magdalene isn't her last name. Magdalene refers to the, her hometown, a little fishing village off the northwest coast of the Sea of Galilee called Magdala. But see, Luke tells us, Luke tells us that Mary had been demon-possessed with up to seven demons, the biblical number for a complete set. Can you imagine the mess? Now, we in the West, we typically don't talk about demons. That's certainly not to say that they don't exist. It's just that we, being in an enlightened age, our culture tends to explain away such things. So, so let's look at some contemporary ways in which the lies of the enemy would be softly whispered in our ears. And then perhaps we can better understand how this happens. It might start with a compulsion to prove. We begin a job or a task or a class with high hopes and high endeavor. I'll show them. I'll be the best, right? Maybe it's intensity. We arrive early, we stay late, we give it all that we've got. It could be subtle deprivations. To keep going, we deprive ourselves. Maybe we stop exercising, stop getting enough sleep, or stop reading the Bible or attending church together. We pick up bad eating habits. More donuts will do the trick, right? Maybe it's distorted thinking. We tell ourselves, well, things are going to get better after I finish this project. Or, I'll get back on track with my family after tax season or, or after this next business trip. It's heightened denial. But people close to us can begin to see what we can't see. We may have less joy in a hobby or in a sport or in life in general. We're often tired. We begin watching too much TV, spend too much time on our phones or our computers. Maybe it's disengagement. Life becomes a, a checklist of things to do, one after another. We live for vacation, but when vacation comes, vacation never seems to last long enough. It's observable behavior changes. It's where people who don't know us see that something is wrong. Our survival strategies become unhealthy. Too much internet, too much eating, too much sleeping, too much shopping, too much caffeine depersonalization, where we become robotic. We just go through the motions. We, we play our part. We put on our face. But we've got nothing left in the tank. 
We hit rock bottom. We internalize everything. We don't talk to anyone. And then we feel as though we've got at least seven demons. Truth be told, we can all get in a mess like Mary. We can all get down, depressed, hit rock bottom. We can all listen to those little lies that the devil and his minions whisper in our ears. And the effect that that has on our lives, well, it makes life even more of a mess for us and for those around us. Some of you might remember the Chevy Nova. Sold pretty well in America from 1961 to 79 and again in 85 to 88. But the Nova didn't sell well in Mexico. For a long time, there was an urban myth that the poor sales was attributed to the fact that in Spanish, the word Nova means not going, or simply no go, right? And who wants to buy a car <laughs> where this name means no go? Well, while poor, poor marketing might have contributed to the poor sales south of the border, doesn't that just seem to summarize our lives sometimes? Nova, no go. We hit rock bottom with no way up. Nova, no go. The devil steals our joy. Nova, no go. Well, that's Mary's mess, and that's our mess as well. And the music? We have no song to sing. See, Mary was down. But her Messiah had lifted her up. She was a mess, but Jesus lifted Mary up from her pit of seven demons. Mary had, had listened to the conflicting voices of those demons, but then she heard the clear voice of Jesus calling her to a new life. And that's why Mary Magdalene follows Jesus all the way to the cross to watch her Savior bleed and die. And the thing is, brothers and sisters in Christ, that Mary's Messiah is your Messiah as well. His face is caked with spit and blood. His throat is so dry he can't swallow. His voice is so hoarse that he can scarcely speak. To find the last time that, that moisture touched his lips, we need to rewind the clock 12 hours to the meal that he celebrated with the disciples in the upper room. Since drinking from the Passover cup, Jesus has been betrayed, condemned, mocked, beaten, and crucified. No liquid quenched his thirst. And the Savior, the Savior has no song to sing. That's how things stand just before dawn on Sunday. I mean, there had been so much hope, so much promise, but now it had all come to what? Nothing. The famous rabbi, well, he's dead. His disciples, in hiding. Other followers, well, they're scattered. And one, Judas Iscariot, even went so far as to hang himself. It is a mess of biblical proportions. So Mary Magdalene gets up early on Sunday to go to anoint Christ's dead body. She expects to see a hastily wrapped corpse of her Messiah lying on a cold stone slab. But see, when she gets there, 
when she gets there, the body isn't in the tomb. Mary breaks out crying. She doesn't understand what had happened. She tells her story first to Peter, then to John, and then to the angels, and now for a third time to a man who she thinks is a gardener. Sir, if you've carried him away, tell me where you've laid him and I will take him away. Mary. The voice is unmistakable. Mary. No one ever said her name with such tenderness. Mary. She looks up and in in sudden recognition cries out, Rabboni! It's Jesus! It's Jesus! He's not dead. He is risen from the grave. He's alive. Christ is alive. And emotions flood Mary's heart. And can you imagine? As she transitions from the depths of grief and sorrow to the heights of ecstasy and joy, just when it appears as though it was all over, to the shock and to the surprise of everyone, the Father raised Jesus bodily from the dead. Mary's song, better yet, her symphony of celebration commences with great joy. And Mary's music is a five-word song. I have seen the Lord. Now, kurios, or Lord, in some contexts, can be a, a formal or a polite way to address someone like sir or mister. But not in this context. With Lord, Mary is saying, I have seen God, the King of the universe. I have seen the one through whom and for whom all things were made. I have seen the one who is coming again, riding on the clouds as King of kings and Lord of lords. That's why Thomas's parallel confession in John 20, 28 has these words, My Lord and my God. What's it all mean? It means that there is more to our lives than what we think. It means that there's more to our story than what we see. It means that there is more to our lives than just death and taxes. It means that there is another voice that we get to hear and listen to. It means that Christ claims our mess And he cleanses us from the mess of our own sin. Christ's resurrection means, just like Mary, that we have a song to sing. Remember? God loves to make music with messy people. It's time, it's high time, for all of us redeemed messes to make some music. I'll take the tuba, you take the trombone, you play the clarinet. We'll play the instruments together. One thing is for sure, you and I, brothers and sisters in Christ, we have a song to sing. We'll sing it with our lips and with our lives. Our lives that have been transformed and redeemed. We have been given an opportunity of a lifetime In Christ Jesus, we have been selected for his orchestra and to sing in his choir. We have a song to sing. 
And what's the song called? Well, it has six words. What are they? I know that my Redeemer lives. Amen. May the peace of God, which passes all understanding, guard our hearts and our minds in Christ Jesus, the risen one. Amen.